0: Back in the fur shed for episode 46 of the Trapping Today podcast. Thank you guys for tuning in. I'm your host, Jeremiah Wood, and the Trapping Today podcast is brought to you by Kotz Brothers Lures, K-A-A-T-Z-B-R-O-S.com. Search those guys out. Kotz Bros have a full line of trapping supplies, uh, lots of great uh, equipment, um, lures, uh, DVDs, books, basically everything you need on the trap line or at home preparing for the trap line, those guys can help you out. Kyle and Kellen Cotts, the two brothers behind Kotz Bros, uh, great, great people to deal with and uh, support the Trapping Today podcast, so I appreciate that. And, uh, and uh, be sure to check them out and make an order. Let them know I sent you. I um, really do appreciate the fact that they're helping out this podcast and a great, great, great company to work with. And speaking of Cots Brothers, I have a new article here that they just put out. They are in the market for raw materials from animals that you catch. So if you are um, going to be catching a fair number of critters and you're saving your glands, which you should be doing, in any fur market, uh, especially, but especially in a low fur market where you're not getting a lot of uh, value necessarily for the pelts, you should be looking at saving glands and carcasses. So I'm gonna kind of read this, read over this a little bit. Um, this is from Kyle at Cotz Brothers. He says, we will once again be in the market for raw materials this fall. Markets will fluctuate. Some items will stop buying when we reach our desired inventory he provides his phone number and email address for shipping and delivery instructions and uh, and then has some prices here he says we pay all we pay shipping on all glands castor, and skunk essence and contact him ahead of time to make arrangements but they're paying uh, for beaver caster dried beaver caster they're paying 55 dollars a pound coyote glands 125 dollars a gallon Red fox glands, $125 a gallon. Bobcat glands, $150 a gallon. Gray fox glands, $115. Badger, 100 Otter, 100 Mink, 100 Muskrat glands, $100 a quart. That's collected from spring muskrats. And uh, a lot of those glands, pretty much all those glands, uh, the way they want to buy them is frozen. So cut them out when they're fresh and uh, stick them in the freezer. Skunk Essence paying $18 an ounce. Uh, that's wholesale price, that's pretty amazing. Carcasses, they're buying some carcasses. If you're nearby, if you're in that area uh, or not far from Savannah, Illinois, they gotta be delivered. They're not, you can't ship them, um, but they, they do have carcasses uh, that they're buying as well and they got some prices for that. Um, if you are looking for more about uh, information about saving glands, kyle did a video a while back a dvd called glands a trapper's commodity i reviewed that on trapping and uh, that's available from kotz brothers it's a really good dvd it's uh it's it's not too long it's straight to the point and it shows you exactly how to extract glands from different species and well well worth the money if if you don't know how to do that um it's, it's a great resource. And there's also Skunk's The Best Investment You'll Ever Make. Another DVD that Kyle did a while back about um, getting all the value out of the skunk. It shows shows how to extract skunk essence with a syringe. So that's what's going on at Kotz Brothers. And also, if you haven't checked out Kellen's DVD, The Flat Set Fix, that is a... Um, overview of using the flat set to catch coyotes and foxes and also he has a kind of a companion book to that called the black book of coyote trapping those are great things to uh, get ahead of trapping season to kind of get ready and get in the groove and learn a thing or two that'll help you catch more critters all right so on on my front here in northern maine in the fur shed what's been going on with me well a lot of non trapping stuff but it is october we're getting closer to the trapping season and what i've been doing is making uh, milling lumber and making boxes for martin and fisher trapping these boxes are the lynx exclusion devices that we're required to use here in maine and a lot of mine i left out in the woods Uh, on the trap line this winter hoping I could just go back and throw some bait and trap in them next year uh, next season and what I found out was you might not want to leave those in the woods because sometimes the critters chew them up so a percentage of my boxes have been uh, chewed up by animals so I get to replace those and um, if you uh, listen back to previous episodes of the podcast I talked about the uh, comparing the effectiveness of the two different styles of Lynx Exclusion devices, I found that one worked far greater for me on my trap line than the other. So, the ones that were most effective are the style of devices that I'm going to be making from here on out. So, that, in, in essence, I need to double the number of devices that I want to use in order to get back to in full force and then i also need to replace whatever was damaged so that'll be a bit of a project Uh, but it's just uh, just a matter of time should be ready by the start of the season in a few weeks here i will be ready even if i don't have as many boxes as i'd like i will be setting boxes out so i'm excited for that the weather's getting cold This is probably the last episode I'm gonna be able to do here in the fur shed without making a fire. So um, it's just a sign of the the decreasing temperatures as we go along in the year. I probably should have a fire right now, I'm getting kinda cold. But anyway, another thing going on, I made an experimental trapping lure that I'm excited to try out uh, this season. So I have, if you are not familiar with my long distance call, um, I've got a grease-based LDC, very heavy skunk essence, and a lot of uh, other musks um, mixed in. It's a very effective lure, but I'm, I'm just loving experimenting with different things. So I've always wanted to make something that is that has kind of a a large egg component to it. I know synthetic fermented egg is a very, very effective call lure for coyotes out west. There's been a lot of government research that's shown the effectiveness of synthetic fermented egg. So fermented eggs, rotten egg, um, that scent seems to have a very strong attraction to predators. So this experimental lure, I I prepared the the base. uh, I guess, I don't know if this is the, necessarily the primary base for the lure because there's a lot involved in it but I I had a friend that had a source of fish eggs and I used these fish eggs I uh, aged them in some warm temperatures sealed up uh, got them smelling uh, pretty pretty nasty <laughs> get a pretty strong odor to them and then I I preserved them in sodium benzoate to stop the breakdown process or the rotting process. I put them in a blender, kind of ground, uh, blended those eggs up in a food processor, got them all kind of worked down into a milky kind of liquid consistency, and I started adding a bunch of ingredients. So we've got the the fish eggs tainted or fermented or rotten, whatever you want to call it. Uh, I added Um, a pretty good component of beaver tail oil I added a large quantity of preserved mink glands included some salmon oil uh, a quantity of beaver oil sacks that I preserved in glycerin uh, last spring from beaver that I caught last spring um, I, I ran those through the food processor as well. Mixed in some, um, added some uh, beaver castorium, some ton a little bit kind of trace levels of tonquin musk, anise oil, civet, asafoetida, and uh, included some glycerin and grease to improve the glycerin and grease, both to keep it from freezing and improve the consistency of the lure. I kind of added these uh, very at very small increments um until i kind of got to the consistency that i wanted in this lure and it's not it's not a liquid and it's not a paste necessarily it's kind of somewhere in between the two i guess it's closer to a paste but not something that not like a taffy like my long distance call lure is like a smear lure it's a taffy you put it you need a pretty rugged stick to dip into that to get it out of the bottle and you can smear it against the side of a tree and it stays there. This stuff is going to be a little more runny than that, um, a little more pasty, uh, but not really uh, liquid. And finally, to top it off, I added some pure quail skunk essence, and it's a smaller quantity of skunk essence than I use in my long-distance call lure uh, because I was going for something a little bit different here in, in this lure, not necessarily trying to get maximum skunk odor power. If I need that, I'm gonna put my LDC lure at the set. Uh, this is something that's gonna be a little closer to the bait at the set, and it's gonna have a variety of, of different types of scents that's uh, hopefully going to attract the animal into the box. So I'm excited about that. I got a pretty good quantity of that going right now, and it's kind of I'm kinda of just letting it set um, I'm gonna I'm gonna open it up, mix it a few times between now and the start of trapping season, and see what we come up with. We'll try it out on the line and see how it works. You never know with these things. You know, some things are quite simple. Call lures are fairly easy for the most part because you just, you know, especially for if you're trapping with with uh, bait as a large component of your trap line. Uh, for Martin and Fisher, you know, bait is pretty critical. So you're relying on the quality of the bait, but the lure, I mean, the the call, the function of the call lure is just to get that animal to the set. So it's pretty easy to formulate a call lure that's going to work, um, to me, the, a, a large component to that was actually getting something that was going to perform in all different weather conditions. And I think I've been able to achieve that. And also just to add it, you know, a little variety of musks and, and other curiosity type scents. Uh, but but just the call of lures just to get them in. This is this is hopefully going to do more than just get the animal to the set. It's going to get the animal to work the set and get really close uh, to where we can get them caught. So it, it's going to be kind of a, a complement to our bait at the set. So we'll see how that lure, I'll keep you updated on how that lure works. I'm kind of excited about, about that. And just one other thing to point out is uh, it's fun to experiment with trapping lures and, and make different things. Make sure that you keep good records of what you do. Um, you know, even though your hands are pretty dirty, you got gloves on, and you're mixing a bunch of things in it at, at the same time, and you kind of think that you might be able to remember it, um, at, by the time it's all said and done, you're probably not going to remember it. If you're anything like me, you're going to completely forget. So what I did every step of the way, I wrote down the quantity, uh, the ingredient that I added, and any other details that I needed to know to make sure that if this lure works out really well I'm going to be able to uh, replicate this in the future and and it's going to be extremely similar or close to identical to the original lure that I made so that's important so all ingredients all quantities uh, types of details on how the ingredients were prepared and how they were mixed into the lure and, and how all that was done so that's another experimental lure pretty cool all right. So the main topic of tonight's episode is called "Trapping Like a Kid," and I I really need to give credit um, to this this idea to Clint Locklear. And if you know, uh, if you listen to Clint's uh, podcast, Trapping Radio, um, you know that Clint Clint has talked about this several times in the past, and it's kind of what motivated me. To, to write an article on the subject and to, to really get thinking about it quite a bit more than I have in the past. Now, for those of you who have spent uh, a, a fair amount of time trapping, you understand that the mental aspect of trapping is uh, extremely it plays an extremely important part. Of the success a trapper has on the line. One of the a good example of this is. If you read any of Craig O'Gorman's books. And Craig is a high rolling long liner trapper from Montana. He has made his living trapping. And he catches a lot of fur. But one thing he uh, is fast to point out. Is that the mentality of you as a trapper? Through the ups and downs, through the um, the difficulties of maintaining a long line, through the the work physically and mentally. You know that that really is the deciding factor on whether you're going to be successful or not. And it separates the men from the boys. Being able to withstand a great deal of physical and mental beating, and continue on, and persist is is what catches the fur. So mentally, there's a lot going on, and and that's why you know I got to give Clint credit because he's always talking about uh, getting trappers to think to think uh, about things rather than just, you know, taking everything for granted or, you know, just, you know, doing what you do because you do it. Well, you know, if you step back for a minute and think about what you're doing and and analyze why you're doing it, there's a real good opportunity uh, to learn. So, the topic came up. A while back about trapping like a kid, and it's a—it's not the easiest thing to explain, but I—I I think you're going to get it as we talk about it here for a little while. So th- there's a kind of a interesting phenomenon that I've seen quite a bit, and and I guess I'm what I'm going to do is is go over this whole idea and the thought process behind uh, the whole trapping like a kid thing. And then I'm going to read to you an article that I published on trapping today recently uh, that, that really describes this in detail. Um, so there's a phenomenon that I've seen, and you may have seen it as well, where a young person or even an older person, someone that has never trapped before gets into trapping. And they, you know, there's a pretty steep learning curve at first, but they figure things out, and as soon as they figure things out, they start catching fur. And early on, they catch quite a lot of fur. And a lot of times, the experienced trappers will look at those youngsters and kind of, you know, maybe do a double take it, like, what is going on why is this guy catch why is this guy so successful so this has happened quite a few times and and i've seen it firsthand where someone gets into trapping and immediately after they kind of start get their feet under them they're having some really good success more success than a lot of veteran trappers are having if you consider number of traps set and number of animals caught. So it gets you thinking a little bit. What's going on? Why is that the case? Why are these relatively inexperienced trappers catching more fur for the amount of effort that they're putting in than the old timers? And to me it all goes back to the idea of trapping like a kid. And I kind of experienced this from a brand new trapper going out and learning how to trap and having success right off the bat. And at the same time, uh, progressing through that initial period of being a young fresh trapper and then hitting the wall where I had very low levels of success for a long period of time. And I've kind of slogged my way through that. And in some instances, I would say, I'm probably not quite through that completely, um, even today. Uh, I'm working on it, but it's a mental thing. And the trapping like a kid mentality is, to me, is the idea that you need to be having fun you need to be enthusiastic, you need to be open-minded, and you need to be constantly fresh on the trap line. So I'm gonna talk in in this article when I read it, I'm gonna talk about formula trapping versus trapping like a kid. And formula trapping is something that we kinda get into this mindset of, this is what you do in this environment to catch this animal. And that's what I do, and I put my head down and I plow right through and I just do that at every set all the way through the line. And I run the line the way that I'm supposed to run a line and I finish that all up at the end of the day and I go check my traps and what I, I get what I get. And if I do well, I do well. If I do poorly, well, I blame the weather, the animals, uh, the conditions, the laws, or whatever else. So that's formula trapping. And it's so easy to get sucked into that. And I got sucked into formula trapping um er, pretty early on after I went through that phase of trapping like a kid. But when you're trapping like a kid, you're you're sitting back, you're enjoying yourself, but you're also thinking hang on a second. Forget about this formula. I'm seeing something at this set this particular area maybe I should be adjusting and doing something a little different here. Or what if I try this? Or what if I try that? And one of the things that does is it allows you to kind of, it it, it prevents you from getting bored and, and tired and worn down. It keeps your mind fresh. And it also allows you to learn new things. I think I mentioned in an episode or two back that trying new things, when, when Cole and I were talking about where we're gonna set our boxes uh, on the Martin trap line and, and talking about all this different habitat and places, if you don't try those new things, how are you gonna learn what might work or what you might be doing wrong? So this really is is an, a subject I think as trappers that we, we should be sitting down and thinking about, You know how am I approaching this trap line? Am I trapping based on a formula? Or am I trapping like a kid? Am I enjoying myself? Am I learning? Am I adapting, adjusting? You know, how are we doing this? So I'm going to read you this article. Interestingly enough, um, you know I, I enjoy writing and I've made it a goal to start uh, having articles published in a few trapping magazines. You know I've got the, the blog website trappingtoday.com. And that's been really successful and I've really enjoyed doing it. But one of the goals I set for myself was I want to start getting published in some of these magazines. So I had an article published in uh, the Trapper and Predator Caller about the fur shed fire. Um, and the rebuilding of the fur shed that I experienced last fall. And I have an article that's going into Trapper's World about Martin and Fisher trapping. And that's going to be, it's mainly Martin trapping. And that's going to be published here very shortly. And so, in addition to that, I've had a few articles that I've been submitting to uh, some of these magazines. Trying to get published. And, you know, the way the game works is... If the editor likes what you have to write, they they publish it. If they don't, then they don't. So this actually was something. This is an article I'm about to read that was rejected by one of the the trapping magazines. So I decided, you know what? I've put in the effort to write this, and I kind of thought initially before I sub- I submitted it that you know there's a good chance it's going to get rejected. It's not. a new method of an idea of how to trap set this trap or a new way of catching this animal you know it's it's maybe not a novel thing it's more of a reflective thought-provoking subject and those things don't really get a lot of play in the in the magazine world so I threw it up on trapping today I, I kind of assumed that there's a good chance it wasn't going to get published, and it wasn't, so I published it on my site. And for those of you who read it, I hope you enjoyed it. Um, I, I thought it was very valuable for me putting it all together, and if anybody else uh, gets some value out of it, that's, that's uh, great as well. So the article is titled, Trap Like a Kid. Why formulas and traditional education don't work in the trapping world. Some of the most effective professional trappers in the world today approach trapping with the mindset of a child. That may sound like a bold statement, but let's think about it for a minute. Having an open, creative mind, the ability to try new things, and willingness to solve interesting problems can all be considered youthful traits, The most enthusiastic I've ever been as a trapper was the first fall I ran a trap line. Every set was approached without any preconceived ideas or theories I'd learned about proper trapping technique. I simply tried anything I thought would work to catch the target animal. That may have resulted in some off-the-wall sets, sometimes, but a lot of them worked. Why do so many of us lose that youthful enthusiasm as we move along in our trapping careers? I think some of it has to do with society, culture, and how we've been taught to think. And I'll stop here for a second. I want to talk about this guy, Seth Godin, because he's he's a really interesting guy, he has a lot of uh, fascinating um, viewpoints on uh, society in general, uh, the modern uh, workforce, how things have changed and how things are continuing to change. So if you just, like, uh, get on YouTube and search for Seth Godin, G-O-D-I-N. Um, uh, I don't necessarily agree with all of his ideas, but he has a lot of them, and he's a really sharp dude. So one of his big things is, is talking about how education is flawed today. And uh, we'll talk about here in the article about uh, the the origin of, of modern education and how it kind of came to be and how, you know, that is pretty much the reason that, that there are issues and problems. So in his book, Stop Stealing Dreams, and you can you can go on YouTube and Google Stop Stealing Dreams and you'll see a talk, a TED talk that Seth Godin um, put out there about, um, about this topic. Seth Godin describes how America's modern education system has changed the way we think for the past century or so and how that's impacted us, us as individuals. Now you might not think, well, ah, what the heck does this have to do with trapping? Well, to me, in tra- the way we trap is oftentimes a reflection of us as human beings and society has impacted and influenced the way we think for for many, many, many decades. So, thinking about it from that perspective, at the onset of the Industrial Revolution, most rural rural Americans lived on farms, but society needed factory workers to mass-produce goods in cities. So this was kind of the, the shift from every American, for the most part, a lot of Americans anyway, were independent business owners they were entrepreneurs they were farmers they were producing a product a commodity that the um you know people put a value on and the better they did the more they produced the more they made the harder they worked the more they made and it it worked quite well for a very long time but all of a the sudden there was a shift with uh you know modern machines and the need for people to work in factories so how do you get people to be well equipped to work in factories that's our as humans we are really not programmed to to be machines or computers we're, we're not programmed to be robots and just do what we're told and do uh, monotonous tasks all day long So how do you, how do you prepare people for that type of work that needed to be done. Well, you know, if you look back at the time and and look into history on, on how this all came about, this discussion was a very hot topic. And there were a few different schools of thought around how to make this happen. But for the most part, the consensus was we need to teach people, teach children in schools how to be productive members of society by working in factories and doing these monotonous tasks. So, you know, I think in a lot of ways that has shaped modern society where we're not taught to think for ourselves. We're not taught to be independent. Um, We're taught to do what the teacher says, put your head down, work hard, and save your money, and you will be rewarded in the end. Well, that's not necessarily going to work in today's society, and honestly, it doesn't work very well in trapping. So, the modern education system in America was designed, for the most part, to train us to work in factories. We were taught to sit quietly, follow directions, and repeat what the teacher told us to. There was a right and wrong answer, and disagreeing with the teacher or in the future the boss meant that you were wrong. So education may have prepared us to be great trainable workers but in the trapping world where independent thinking is a major key to success I think it's led many of us astray. When our entire mindset is built around learning a method following instructions and repeating the same tasks over without deviating we become Formula trappers. So that's what I I, I talked about earlier, the formula trapping mindset. So what's a formula trapper? I'm not sure there's an easy definition, but I think we've all been guilty of formula trapping over the years. We set traps by the odometer on the truck. We only set Martin and Fisher traps in thick cedar swamps. That's an example from my trap line. We make the same mink set, under every bridge crossing. Our fox and coyote traps are 7 and 10 inches respectively back from the edge of the dirt hole. Basically we do what we've learned or been told to do and don't think twice about it. Now don't get me wrong, formula trapping works. There's a reason we do it. We have rules, we know to be generally true, we stick to them and they produce results. The problem is Although the formulas can produce average results, they never produce extraordinary ones. When we think based on the averages, we turn our brains off from the possibility of exceptional results. So this is kind of like, you know, thinking about the factory worker versus the enthusiastic kid that hasn't been taught to comply and do what you're told, and, and goes out there and tries a bunch of different things. You know, what's the best method? What's the you know what's the most effective way to catch the most fur Um, I don't know maybe a combination of the two but it's certainly not um, it's certainly not the formula trapper factory worker mindset the rules of nature wildlife populations and critter habits are more complex and dynamic than any factory could ever be and that's why the factory formula mindset fails Nature doesn't always follow the same rules, and no one formula can predict what a particular species of fair bearer will do, and how we as trappers can best catch them. You know, critters, critters do things, uh, crazy things all the time. There's no one pattern necessarily that that's going to uh, to make us successful if we follow it. So I think the interesting thing, just just uh, a thought that came to me was. You know, the formula is kind of your basis for understanding, uh, but really the trapping like a kid is where you you go out and try all these different things that maybe stray a little bit away from the basis, but still keep that in mind. All right. Well, being pretty well-educated in the academic world, I'm probably one of the most guilty when it comes to formula trapping. You know, I I spent... uh, K through 12 in school. Then uh, I went to four-year college, and I went straight from there to a master's degree. And that I basically, from the time I was age five, all the way through um, about 24, I was in school every year, um, being told what to do. So. So it was hard to kind of break out of this formula trapping thing. Uh, I am working to unlearn many of the so-called truths that have been hardwired in my head each time I'm out on the trap line. The first big Martin line I ran was was right after watching a video about how effective rotten, stinky bait was for Martin. It took a lot of set refusals to convince me that while that may have worked, great in southeast Alaska was not the ticket in northern Maine. So I went by the formula, I did exactly what the guy said in the video, Um, I ran all my traps like that, and I did not have success, and I was just puzzled, like why am I not catching these animals? Well, you know what, maybe just because it works in one place or it's on one video doesn't mean that's that's the way to go. I also set by the odometer with a distance based on my perceived ideas of Martin home ranges and my unwillingness to pass by large stretches of ground in between sets. That was another mistake. When I first started coyote trapping, the dirt hole set was the only one I knew. So, I went around making baited dirt hole sets at every location. They caught coyotes, and it worked. But these dirt hole sets also attracted black bears. so. This was a frustrating, frustrating uh, situation where I was running traps and I was running like between two, two and a half dozen coyote traps every morning before school. And it was incredibly frustrating when I'd go out. Some, Some days I would have 24 out of 30 coyote traps set off by bears. And it was like three, four, or five different bears. And I had different strings on my line. And I'd go on one string, string of, you know, six or eight sets. And the bear would, you could see the bear going into the set, set off the trap, went out. You could see tracks over to the next set a quarter mile down the road, set that on off. And it kept going. And it was like, it was unbelievably frustrating. And I didn't know any better. I was just like, I was zoned in tunnel vision I make dirt hole sets for coyote trapping and if I would have just sat back and said hmm the bears are attracted to the bait Uh, a coyote is attracted to bait but there's other things coyote is attracted to in addition to bait what if I tried just urine or a coyote gland lure or something Outside of bait, that bear would not be attracted to. Hmm. Maybe if I would have used flat sets, I would have caught a lot more coyotes. I didn't know what a flat set was. And I was so into that formula mindset that I didn't even think about it. Um, so I said they caught coyotes, but also attracted black bears, which tripped traps and stole bait from up to two dozen sets each night. Flat sets would have caught coyotes and avoided the bears but the dirt hole was my formula at the time and I put my head down and remade sets for two weeks instead of using my head to find a creative solution formula trapping. Getting away from the formula mindset takes time but it can be done. Over the years I started making Martin sets in unlikely locations and the catches were surprising. Last winter after numerous misses In shallow water snare pole sets for beaver, oh, a whole nother topic, I set a few baited 330s, which most folks, including myself, have shied away from in most cases, but they added several beavers to my catch. Though it was ingrained in my head to trap muskrats only in cattails, this was an experience back in Montana, another topic we could talk about in the future. A switch in location on a neighbor's farm pond resulted in dozens of muskrats more than 100 yards away from a cattail plant. It takes time, but I'm working to open my mind up to new ideas and less conventional trapping methods. Alright, and in conclusion, most professional trappers share a common trait that we all can learn from. They never hesitate to try something different, whether it's a new location, different bait or lure, or an off-the-wall set that just might work. That's how they learn. Each new set is another at bat. And when they connect, they learn something that formula trappers never do. They trap like a kid, challenge old ideas, solve interesting problems, and catch more fur. So that to me is the difference between formula trapping and trapping like a kid. I think if we, have, if we use the formula as a basis of our understanding, um, how we approach the trap line and catching animals, and then at the same time, we understand that once we uh, get out there on the line, go beyond that basis, and let's start trying different things, experimenting with new ideas, and just challenging ourselves. You know, as trappers, we—I think that's how we learn. And, and you might learn a new idea and it's something that's successful and it works. We're never going to know exactly 100% why it worked. But don't get in the formula of, well, that worked, so that's what I'm going to do from now on. All right, you know, use it. Use it in more sets and uh, use it more than you have in the past. But don't get in the formula. That's the only way to do it because once you get stuck, you're going to find that, you're not quite catching as much fur as you probably should be. And maybe the new guy down the road is catching more fur than you are. Um, Instead of thinking up excuses and finding reasons that he's doing better than you are, how about, you know, pointing the finger at yourself and thinking, how can I change what I'm doing? There's got to be something here that I can learn from and become a more effective trapper. I think that's that's where the pros, you know, get their stuff. They're they're mentally tough and strong, and they're hard workers. But they also are willing to learn constantly, constantly learning new things, new ideas. They're the innovators. They're the ones that um, they're the ones that create all these new paradigms and ideas and and beliefs in the trapping world that most of us just kind of think, well, you know, that's just the way it is. Well, somebody learned that at some point. And trapping like a kid is where you get there. So I hope that you uh, found this somewhat useful and entertaining. I hope it helps you on your trap line. I know it certainly has helped me. It's, it's in the back of my mind constantly. How am I going to learn new things? How am I going to quit getting stuck in this rut? Of this is how you do this. And uh, I think it's a great thing. I'm excited. Uh, it makes me happy to be out on the trap line. Trapping like a kid always makes things interesting. Never let it get boring. That's, you know, it's not what we're out here to do. do. We're, not, we're not in a factory, uh, we're not making uh, inanimate objects for a certain amount of money per hour. You know, we're, we're out there in the woods, we're enjoying ourselves, we're in nature. We're learning about these wildlife, uh, these fur bears, all these different species. This is, you know, this is the ultimate. This is art. This is not, not necessarily just the science. So with that, thank you for tuning in. Keep on thinking trapping. Think Keep on improving as a trapper yourself. And trapping season is just around the corner. Um, I'm really happy to have you guys listening in. The podcast grows every week and thanks for Cots Brothers Lures for supporting us. And until then, we'll catch you on the next episode.